This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 380, brought to you by C2E2, Valiant Comics, Archer, and Armstrong number zero, and iFanboy listeners just like you. Joining me are Josh Flanagan. Hi there. And Mr. Pat Loika. Hello. Connor is off. Connor's off on a vision quest. And <laughs> so we decided to to get one of our favorite people uh, in comics and uh, and just in general, uh, Mr. Pat Loika, one of the most enthusiastic people around, and uh, bring some new energy to the show. So well, thanks for having me. Because what I've been doing hasn't been working, so <laughs> um, that's the memo I got. There were graphs. You're not really. really bringing energy. There was a pie chart and a line graph, and that's just what I want to say. All right, so at ifanboy.com, we like ladies. But, mm, 
Um, at <laughs> iFanboy.com, we like comic books and we read comics and every week you rascal read a bunch of comics and then one of us picks the best books and writes about it on the website and then we talk about it on this year podcast along with various other topics of interest you scallywag. Before we get to the show, a quick reminder, warning, this is a review show, and we will be talking about the things that happen in this week's books. So if you're worried about spoilers, run away now. Run away. Run. And uh, this week, Josh had the pick. I did. I did. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a different little week, I thought. This was like the leftovers week. And uh, not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. And I went with uh, Indestructible Hulk number... I don't like the word indestructible, by the way. I find that to be an unpleasant modifier. Uh, Indestructible Hulk number six, and it was because Walt Simonson did the art, and it was about Thor, and they were in Jotunheim, and it was the old Thor costume, and it was everything I want, and that's all. End of review. No, um, what's funny is I kind of heard about this a little while ago, and but I'd forgotten about it. So I, I opened it up and I looked at the cover and I was like, who drew that? Oh, Walt, oh, right. Walt Simonson. And so, um, you start going through this, uh, this little Hulk story. And then before you know it, they've, they've transported us over to one of the nine realms and, and we're off to go. And, and then Thor shows up and, and every page, uh, what do you call it when you're not flipping pages? anymore? Pat, you would know this (laughs) Pat page transition. With every page turn? Yeah, that okay, I guess that still works in the digital mm-hmm. age. It still does. All right. Uh, with every page turn, I was just getting a little more into it, and I was, I was getting myself more excited because this is, this is some really wonderful Walter Simonson art. Um, you know, even though it, it, has a, it has a definite throwback feel, it, it, it looks, you know, aside from the sort of modern coloring, which isn't too egregious, um, it, it looks and feels like an old classic Walt Simonson Thor story from, you know, and, and to a lot of people, myself included, he's the Thor artist. He's the, the guy. Um, and also, he's, he's a heck of a Hulk artist, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's definitely got that down. Um, you know, but on the other side of it, I don't want to take, uh, take anything away from Mark Wade. Um, and I feel like him and Simonson have sort of a kinship in that they both, you know, they made a big name for themselves in an earlier era in comics. Not exactly the same for both of them. Um, Wade came along later, but then they were sort of, uh, they were off for a while in the woods. Uh, In in Wade's case, you know, he, uh, went and did, um, he worked at Boom for a little while and he kind of wasn't doing any of the mainstream titles, which is, which is totally fine. But when he came back, you know, he came back to Marvel with Daredevil and, and just, you know, totally blew everybody away with that. And here he's taking a different approach on Hulk because, but, but it all fits within the framework of what we know as the, as the Marvel universe, because the guy is nothing if not sort of an expert on on these universes, both of them. I mean, he could he could trivia anybody under the table for Marvel and DC. I'm pretty sure. Certainly, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. he he could Superman. He's out of control, but with this other stuff, it's pretty good too. Mm. Um, and and as you know, what we've got here is a Hulk uh, that's a different a different take on Hulk. Um, which is that now Banner's like, oh, I'm not going to be the sad sack. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to be uh, ashamed. I'm gonna recognize the fact that I'm, you know, the smartest if, or, you know, among the smartest men in, in the Marvel Universe. He doesn't call it that because he has no idea. Um, and, and he makes a deal with S.H.I.E.L.D. And then the Hulk becomes this sort of thing in the background, which is this deployable nuclear weapon, or I think they, they compared it to a, a targeted hurricane or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's when the Hulk shows up. He doesn't talk. We don't spend a lot of time, you know, dealing with Hulk's feelings. And we don't, you know, th- Hulk doesn't say a lot. It's just... When the time is right, Hulk comes and he smashes things, and and you know f- so far it's been all hunky dory. And the fun part for me of this was that Wade, Wade has this great imagination where he can take the things that already exist and spin it a little bit. So the idea is that they're going to travel to one of the nine realms because they have a little piece of Uru, which is the the stuff that Thor's hammer is made of. And they're going to go there and they're going to get some of these mystical elements to bring back with them and 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 you know do tests on and stuff. And it's just. It's this little tiny thing about the way that the Marvel Universe works that nobody's done. Um, and, of course, when they get there, uh, there's all sorts of trouble, and the, the Thor there is a different Thor. So I think they went through time also. Um, and uh, it, I, think, I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah. And um, it was, this, yeah. Thor doesn't know them, and it's the, it's the old-school retro look, as, as Banner describes it. And um, I don't know. I, I think you know all this is funneling into the fact that as with Daredevil, Wade is bringing the fun back, mm-hmm. and um, you don't have to have a super angsty 
you know, Hulk story, even though there is, you know, a, like there, there is a bit of um, a bit of melodrama that's always it's always going to be pivotal to Bruce Banner's story. And um, I like the whole conceit of this series that Banner is has something to prove surrounded by all these other great scientists in the Marvel community. Um, he's the, he's the one that really has something to prove. He hasn't he's he's created more problems. Um, I get, I get, I would actually like to see sort of, um, like a, like a buddy, uh, journey, like a road story with, uh, with Banner and, and Hank Pym, because those are the two that have caused the most problems more than innovating. Um, but even Pym has, has helped out and, and there's Pym particles and everything with Banner. It's mostly, oh no, there's, there's Bruce. What a sad story. He's that guy at the party. Nobody piss him off. Nobody piss him uh. off and everything like that. And so, um, well, I do think Simonson's take on Banner was a little bit off. Um, it's a little bit like it's it's like it's like Simonson doing a David Finch character, mm-hmm. you know, where it's just grimacing the whole time. Um, but I do love his Hulk, even with the crazy Beetleborg's armor. Um, <laughs> and the armor's dumb. The armor is. It's a little ridiculous. I mean, um, I know there's a purpose, but I don't care. Yeah, but um, but but seeing seeing Thor throwing the hammer in that old costume, seeing Thor laughing, that's that's fantastic. So as much as I love what Jason Aaron's doing with Thor and what Isad Rubik is doing with Thor right now, um, there are different ways to depict that same character. And um, Simonson for me will always be like the quintessential Thor and, and maybe quintessential superhero stuff. I, that Simonson's Thor is like the, 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 the perfect little, that's like my beach superhero, you know, my, uh, my, my desert Island uh, superhero story. So that big brick um, and uh, to see frost giants in Jotunheim, I mean, this is my bread and butter. So uh, I, I I love this book. I had a lot of fun with it. Pat, are you a Hulk man or a Thor man? Um, I like both actually. Um, and and I kind of I got both of them here. And uh, in in uh, and actually, actually, one of the things I noticed that about this book, one of the things I love about it is uh, the this is such a small detail, but uh, Chris Iliopoulos' lettering kind of reminds me of John Workman's lettering. And John, oh, totally. Been, and I, yeah. I, I think I didn't. I think I didn't notice it at first. I mean, you're absolutely right, but I think I didn't notice it because it fits so well with the art. Yeah, like it was exactly. Just there, I just, oh, yeah, that's what it's supposed to look like, and you yeah. can see it in the in the special effects and also in the lettering. So it's a nice touch. Yeah, it is a really nice touch. And and, and you know, and, and I was flipping through. Like I, at first, I wasn't sure if I was reading an older book because you know, you see the old appearance of you know Thor's older look. And you see Frost Giants, you think you're reading, you know, something from the the, the Thor omnibus, you know, the, that Simonson did. But uh, you know, it's it's a modern story. Uh, Mark Wade really does a good job, you know, kind of telling us, you know, giving us the lay of the land, so we're, we're not lost. So anyone who's picking this up, you know, cold because they just like, you know, Walt Simonson's work, yeah. will not get, will not, will not feel lost while they're reading this book. I felt that and, too. Yeah, and of course, the 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 layouts and the action sequences are just insane and 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 for someone who's been around a long time it, it feels like a young man is drawing this book yes yeah and writing it it's like the same yeah. thing these guys don't feel like a couple of guys who've been around forever who like who can just coast like they're going oh yeah look at this yeah and as you as i as i keep doing as is you sort of just flip through it from the beginning to the end and you watch the energy of the pages ramp up as the action starts as they start fighting the giants and then and then he brings it down again to that quiet moment when the when the hulk pulls himself up through the ground and then all of a sudden everything just kind of explodes up to that last page where you're like oh my hell god yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a about, stoke in a big you talk, way you talk about energy and you talk about you talk about layouts too if you look at the you know the first page and the closing page hulk is like bursting out of the page he's he's actually he's literally like coming out of the panel and into the gutters and um the, that first page he's doing sort of like a cannonball uh into the desert and it's just this fantastic like kinetic energy to it that he's just he's barely being it's almost like a pop-up book you know in 2d it's it's so cool this is a, this is and this is a straight up line when you watch those the first thing i, I notice when i'm looking through it is the is him breaking those panel borders and it's just it's it's like a straight line from Kirby. Because Kirby did mm-hmm. this, and, and then well, Simonson, I feel, to be very much in the vein of Kirby um, with a sort of different feel to it. But it, he does it better than anybody. You know, they, they always say don't break panel borders until you're, until you're ready to break panel borders with an <laughs> artist. And, and he, he just does it so well. And it's, it's actually pretty subtle, but it, it's a thing that I really like in the craft of it. Mm-hmm. Very effective. 
very well. Now, I, uh, Paul, I, I assume you're. I guess you're still reading action comics. Um, actually, I'm back reading action okay. comics. Um, I, I fell off of a little bit because it was just getting a little bit too uh, convoluted for me, and I was very excited for Andy Diggle coming on, and um, I think Andy Diggle was too. Um, so there's something a little bit bittersweet about this in that he's doing this issue and maybe the next. Two, and then it goes over to Tony Daniel, the artist, um, because uh, the, the news that everyone heard is, is Andy Diggle is, has left before it even started. Um, and that's really unfortunate because um, I like his take on Superman. I like his take on, on Clark and Lois and, um, and Lex Luthor, too. Um, has a great scene in here, and um, and also I um, you know I don't know how how Tony Daniel is going to. Is, is going to handle the, the the writing of this, and also Scott Labdell is going to be coming in as well to do some some uh, some writing. We just heard um, nothing but, you're saying is uh, feels good to me. Right, it's uh, <laughs> it's as I said, it's really bittersweet, more to the bitter end. But but if you just take this issue, I think this is this would be a really exciting place to start. Um, there's a great flirtation between Clark and Lois that you know that uh, I think we all miss um, from the New Fifty Two since that stopped being a thing. Um, and they're you know they're 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 talking about you know scoops and stuff, and it's the it's the the same old thing. And part of that is a little bit nostalgia on my part, and. You know, I, I feel kind of like a heel saying, you know, I, I don't want to see this new direction where Clark and Lois aren't together because normally I'd be like, it's it's change. It's different. It's something it's something good. That's positive that they're trying something new. But I think we've seen that that something new maybe isn't very appealing. Um, so to have a little taste of that, I mean, what new, you know, Superman or Action Comics writer coming in? Could, you know what? Could, who could resist writing a scene where the two of them together have this great pattern and, and have this great dynamic? So you could also uh, look at that as the challenge, though, because it's been done so often. It's kind of a gimme. Yeah, and I mean, but but then again, I might be I might be weak or soft in that. I don't mind if I've seen it over and over again, and it's just comfort food for me. Um, but then it's it's a great sinister Lex Luthor that reminds me a bit of the Paul Cornell Lex Luthor from his great action comics run, where he's got this therapist who's you find out is he's is actually in a cell, is imprisoned, and he is basically he comes to her every day and is trying to convince her that he's he's sane, not a sociopath. But even though she's, you know, under lock and key, she's saying, no, you're you're a huge sociopath. You're really dangerous. And he's like, well, we're going to try again tomorrow. See what you have to say. And so I thought that was a really a really funny dynamic. And it's there's some, uh, Lex Luthor has planted some kind of hybrid virus into Superman, some kind of um, some kind of weapon that is within Superman's blood or something. And his hand does strange things at the end. Um, I like the art a lot in this. It's not I mean. Traditionally, I mean, I normally I don't like the sort of Jim Lee approach to Superman, um, but on the on the scale of you know David Finch, Jim Lee in the middle, and then Tony Daniels on the the uh, the far side, I like more of the Tony Daniel approach than the the grimacing, you know, frowning David. I'm I'm being very mean to David Finch on this episode. But. <laughs> Not everyone's a fan. Yeah, but but, uh, yeah, but a I lot think of this people is, are. Yeah, and I I think this was I th- I thought this is. Much better than what he was doing on Detective. He was doing that. Yeah, um, I have to agree. I I think it's it, it, and it's it doesn't feel like super grim and gritty and and crazy gothic like he was doing with the Batman mythos and that's appropriate that it's you know because this is not Gotham this is Metropolis so um, I was pleasantly surprised with this. Um, I like the arts. I like the story so far but i don't know what's going to happen so i don't know if i should recommend this or if it's a wait and see kind of thing i think we're, i think it's a wait and see kind of thing. It sound, that's what i hear you're saying yeah it's i guess it's a wait and see kind yeah. of thing or just not at all yeah, yeah you're just kind of worried about where it's going to go after after diggle leaves you know uh he, he he had such a he did such a good job you know laying down the groundwork for for the run here um and just yeah you know i don't know if i can continue without him you know there's that, and then there's also whatever the reason was that Andy Diggle left. You know, we hear, we hear all these rumors about mm-hmm. why the writers left, and that the same thing over at the Green Lantern books. You know, mm-hmm. why did those guys leave? Mm-hmm. And some of the things we're hearing, you know, like, okay, so he left, so that means the thing that made him leave is still maybe going to happen. And if it's something that bad that it actually made him, you know, quit, 
do I want to read that? So that that's, yeah, I don't know. But I, I will be, I will be reading, and and I'm interested to see where this goes. But um, I've got my, you know, my hand is at the the ripcord, <laughs> ready to eject. You, you, you better impress me, son of a. You better do it. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like all new X Men comes out every two days. Yes. It does. If, and it's like if it's not all new X-Men, it's uncanny X-Men. And this is actually I, – I meant to mention this when we were talking about Hulk is that one of the things about Hulk is that it seems to actually be on a monthly schedule, whereas you know half the other Marvel now uh, books come out <clears throat> three times a week. And so it feels like, like Hulk is the forgotten stepchild and the same thing with uh, you know the Captain America and, and – Avengers Arena is like monthly too yeah. mostly. Yeah. And yeah, there's some that are you know regular and pace I, I, and it makes them feel like they're moving at a glacial – Yes, it, exactly. Away. But it also makes them feel a little bit special. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, But it does. Uh, in, this, in that same thing, I tend to not want an overload but I, I will admit that I'm really enjoying all new X-Men and uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed this one as much as I had the ones before it. Pat, this is your. This has got to be your bread and butter. This has got to be. Yeah, this this is uh, one of my favorite books right now, and uh, it it I, I love how you know how how, how Brian and and uh, you know and pretty much all the creative team just they're just making this whole thing work. This this you know the, the time displaced X Men in the present day. You know, I, for you know for a while when I first heard about, it, I was skeptical because I wasn't sure how how are you going to make this work and how are you going to you know pull, pull this off. But now it's become it's become just as fun to see how they'd react now that they know all this stuff that's going to happen to them and it's it's just a fun to see you know, it, you know see them you know react to their counterparts today and that last page was well, you know, that was a real tease right there <laughs> yeah it's and it's and something you can only really do in comics right because yeah. you know you have you have a, a, an off panel you know di- you know word balloon saying i'll come with you so it's the fact that the uncanny x men have, have you know come into the the gene gray school right mm-hmm. and they're asking anyone to join them because they're going to be the militant you know mutant mm-hmm. group they're going they're the re- actually their argument is that they're the real you know, Xavier school, they're going to call themselves that. And that, and for Scott to say that, you know, the audacity, because he's the guy who killed Charles Xavier, whether he intended to or not. Um, and so, and, uh, you know, Pat, what you're saying about, you know, the, the skepticism going in, I had that too. And I was wondering, you know, it's, it seems very much like a gimmick, but it's, this is a really great example. And I, and I felt this reading this issue that it's, they're totally following through on the promise, which we're so unused to in, <laughs> in, in comics. Like it just no, but like it's it, like that premise that the you know the original X Men are going to come forward to today and talk to the modern X Men. Like you might get one or two beats of that paying off in in a normal book, but here every week there's something new and interesting and they're playing all the different angles, all of the different relationships and he's asking smart questions and there's a bit of meta commentary in there too, you know, about what's changed and what crazy things have gone on since those days of, of the original X-Men. And, um, that's really, that's really satisfying to see. And it's, um, you know, the, the great art, it doesn't matter, you know, what week, what day, what month, the art is always good in this book. Um, and this is this is imminent on this one, right? Yes, that's and right. It's actually it's coming it's coming to the point that it's like they're blending together. It, yeah, it, they are. It's so cohesive, mm-hmm. and um, so uh, and 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 yeah, that 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 cliffhanger, the idea that you have in you know uh, a word balloon from off panel, and you don't but you don't hear it. So if it was a TV show or a movie, you'd you'd have heard the character. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a thing that we used to see a lot, and now we never see. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's not a that's not a complaint. So who do you think? What's your bet? Um, I would say it's either Jean Grey or The Beast. It's got to be Jean Grey. It makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, that would be the most obvious answer, though. Yeah. I I think Red Herring. Thank you. I think the Red Herrings would be Jean and maybe Bobby because he's the one who's unhappy. I thought it was Angel who was unhappy. He tinkled. She she got his head tinkered with. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm mixing the two up. Yeah. Angel would be the Red Herring. So I don't know gotta be gene because that's the one that's gonna have the most impact, impact. Yeah, yeah in terms of you know because of scott and all the stuff and i guess thing. he really played off his stupid uh mask and it makes him look other 
I kind of, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of into that. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make any kind of logical sense, none, but, but, but none at all. But like um, when I first saw it, I thought this is the stupidest thing ever. But when I read it now, I'm like, eh, it kind of works. The other thing I noticed <laughs> with this, and, and just since we're not, you know, like overly praising this, I'm, I, I'm not wholly into the new beast design. And because it, it, even though the point is that he's supposed to be the, you know, the next evolution and he's not supposed to look human, like that takes away from a lot of the expression. And I'm thinking like, what would this have looked like in one of his other forms? And could it be more expressive? And with this, it's just kind of like the no pupils, like scary ape thing. He looks just like a monster, like a random monster they'd be fighting. It just seems like a weird way to fix a problem by doing it again. Right, so yeah. I, it's uh, back. I don't care how you do it. Explain it away; it doesn't matter. Yeah, but so and just so to see him in in a talking head issue like this, mm-hmm. it's it's really kind of tricky because he just looks angry all the time and and monstrous, and maybe that's part of the point. But I don't know. Uh, so Thanos, Ri- Thanos Rising number one. I was very excited for this because um, oh yeah, love Thanos. I know you love Thanos, Pat. You, oh, got, yeah. you had the gauntlet <laughs> recently. You got you collected yeah, yeah. Infinity Gems. You got the yeah. I, I, yeah, I have. I, have I, I built my own gauntlet. Not not full on <laughs> cosplay. It doesn't unfortunately work. <laughs> but okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so at least as far as we know, at least what you're telling. No, no, no. There's um, no such thing. It's it's a display piece. And then with the creative team of Jason Aaron and not Isad Ribic, but Simone Bianchi, which I thought might be you know the same kind of flavor. You know, there's Boy, a bit of that. Is, is this a very is classical project that he's really well suited for. Because I have not t- typically enjoyed his stuff in the past. Uh, Bianchi, yeah. Yeah, but it definitely... I feel like he's a great cover artist and done some really interesting things with, like, Wolverine covers. But, um, but yeah. But, uh, so what did you think about this, Pat? I really enjoyed it. It's, uh, it's you know, it's a retelling of, you know, of, of Thanos' origin story, basically. This is and a story that's existed before? They told it, but they never told it in full. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's in it's in bits and pieces, much like you know, much like uh, this is similar to uh, I don't know if you guys remember the Ed Brubaker, uh, Pablo Ra- Pablo Raimondi uh, uh, books of Doom, which kind of retold the Doctor Doom origin, you know, in in chronicle, you know, in chronological order. This kind of does that, but they give you more details that you never saw before, like that scene where his birth, the, his birth scene, that was something that was you know never mentioned before, for example, uh, which was kind of screwed up. Um, I thought it did a good job, kind of. Making the character very sympathetic, and making his his home life, his family life, very very screwed up, and kind of in a way kind of relatable for people too. And uh, you know that that you know the ending, you know where you know that that little cave expedition that they go through, you know it, it just made his story kind of a bit more tragic because now you know what people thought of him after that, and you know and before that, you know it it just uh, you know it, it kind of affected how he he would you know how he grew up, you know. Mm-hmm. I, uh, a couple things. Um, I don't know for me if, if Thanos benefits from a Rudolph, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer kind of origin story. Um, maybe because of like we've seen that a lot mm-hmm. um, and maybe it sort of goes to that the fact that he's an artist and he likes drawing the iguanas before he eventually kills all the iguanas. I'm just going to call them iguanas because that's what <laughs> I don't know what they are, but mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's part of the story. Like they're called something, but anyways, but they're they're iguanas. And he was drawing them, and so I was like, okay, so we're going for sort of like a like a jilted, you know, Hitler thing here, where he's a young guy and he goes through this weird thing and he's not accepted, and so genocide, um, which is how we know Thanos is, mm-hmm. you know, just being horrible. I don't I don't know if I want to feel sympathy for. Thanos. Um, I kind of just like him being because he. This is like this is a character who is in love with death, the avatar of death, and um, so I I kind of like the 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 broadness of his character that Mm -hmm. he's kind of just one dimensional and just evil. I actually I actually agree with you. I was a little off put by the fact like I didn't I didn't want to see like oh he got they they kick sand in his face so that's why he becomes the biggest killer in the history of the universe. I like the fact that he's a big thing. Like, like in, you know, in, in uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, he just was, you know, he just, you know, and I know that there was a background, know that that was all said, but I like the idea that he was, some of the things in the Marvel Universe that I've always liked, and I like it in Marvel more than DC, is that there are these, gods doesn't even cover it, it's like bigger than, they're titans, they're, you know, right. larger mm-hmm. than. Well, he is the mad titan. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're just larger than everything, and it's just, it's just a thing that is, and I, 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 I'm wary of breaking it down to 
you know, they, they, I had to kill some lizards. Right. You know, you know what I, I find more interesting is at the end of Infinity Gauntlet, you know, after he's lost all his power and he's just hanging out in like the, that swamp sort of planet. It's been yeah, a while since I've but he's like, yeah, but he's like, yeah, but he's like rag. Sure. Yeah, he's like, he's, <laughs> on Dago, but he's in rags and stuff. And yeah, and I found that kind of interesting. Like, who's that character after, you know, like, what is, what is Hitler like after, you know, if he hadn't shot himself or Hellboy killed him or whatever happened in the Mignolaverse, I forget. Um, you know, so that kind of thing. So that, so I, I'm, I'm going to check out the next issue just to, just to see where it goes. But, um, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just in the in the concept that this book couldn't have won me over just because I I don't want that sympathetic well, view I mean, of, of bobblehead mm-hmm. teen Thanos. <laughs> he's very odd looking. It's like yeah, he is. Okay. He's got a big old head. Didn't want to have you know Wolverine origin told. Yeah, and I was yeah. in that camp. I was like, he, it's much more interesting to just not have it explained. To I have that, that everybody mystery. wants it explained. But I hate, I hate it. Every time somebody calls him James, I'm like, stop it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> like Jean did laugh in oh, that last X-Men <laughs> And she wouldn't say that because she wouldn't know, <laughs> I guess. Or he didn't know that then. I don't know. I don't know that stuff. I just, ugh, I just want them, I want to forget that it happened. Now, <laughs> now about concepts that I think are totally winning and totally perfect, Godzilla Half-Century War number five. Is this just me or did anybody else read this? No, I read it. I, thought, awesome. I, I thought that it was over. I th- because I feel like either I missed an issue or it had been a long time. So I was like, oh, there's one more of these. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the, that's a sad thing with Stoko. But, that, yeah. but, but, yeah, I, that, I, but that's I, the I, other thing is that it's, it's a wonderful surprise when it does come up. And like, oh, man, there's more. It's, it's like a Christmas morning and the old man pulls out the Red Rider BB gun from behind the tree. There is another present. Um, so that's, that's Godzilla Half Century War number five. And this is James Stoko doing his James Stoko thing with Godzilla. This is the most ingenious Godzilla concept ever, possibly, um, where it's basically each of these issues follow a dude who's been tracking and trying to, to, to murder Godzilla for his whole entire life. And in the end, it's a fight where this dude is in Mecha Godzilla fighting Godzilla. And they've already destroyed a bunch of monsters. Who's in here? King Ghidorah, um, uh, Gigans in there, I believe. Um, and so they're they're all blowing up. It it, lo- it all looks fantastic because it's Stoko. But then you have this one dude in the pilot seat, and he's facing down Godzilla, and he's screaming, "Look at me, you damn monster!" And Godzilla isn't making eye contact because this dude's an ant. And um, all he wants is for Godzilla to notice him and notice any of his efforts because all he's been doing basically is throwing pebbles into a pond. Um, and that's just, I don't know, it's an extremely Japanese idea and a, and a great metaphor. And um, it's it's got everything you could possibly want as a Godzilla fan. And I love Godzilla. And um, none of the other Godzilla books that have been coming out lately come anywhere close to this in terms of just how great a concept it is, how – you know how wonderfully rendered each of these monsters are. Um, it's the best, and it's Stoko. So that's my spiel. I, I can't. I feel like I can't speak to it to that sort of degree. I don't know anything about Gogeta, but mm-hmm. uh, it was it was pretty good. I got a little lost at the end. I was like, wait, so did? Oh, I see. Like, although I got the concept. You of, can't kill Godzilla. No, that's yeah, the moral of the that. story. The more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me. But at first, I was like, that's kind of weird. But it's sort of supposed to be. You can't, you can't be Godzilla. I get that. And I think knowing that going in, that helps. Um, but he sent himself into a black hole. That sucks. Yeah, there's like this whole event horizon machine. That yeah. It's awesome. It shoots like a, you know, a spirit bomb at the monsters. And, oh, it's wonderful. That, that spread with, with that actually happening is amazing. Gosh. It is. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's one of those things that only Stoko could do that. I was trying to – and it's not even just the event horizon and the monsters. It's like look at all the clouds and mm-hmm. the, the rubble and the mountains and everything. It's, a, it's amazing. And I was actually trying to fit this onto my scanner to you know, make a best panel of the week. And I was just like, no, I'm not – I can't do this any justice. So I used another page. But anyways. 
All right. Uh, this episode is brought to you by C2E2, which is the premier Comic-Con in Chicago, which is coming right up. Uh, April 26th to 28th in the Chicago in Chicago at the West Building of McCormick Place. Comics guests includes Brian Azzarello, Kieran Gillen, Rick Remender, Paul Cornell, Amanda Connor, Andy Diggle, Chris Burnham, Brian Wood, Jim McCann, John Lehman, Mike Norton, Tony Moore, and lots of others uh, with the biggest artist alley and Eddie convention that there is, they say. So, and if the comic guests aren't enough for you, there's tons of stars in the entertainment world as well, like Adam West, Brian Posehn, who actually is also a comics guest now, uh, Julie Newmar, all sorts of people from the Walking Dead cast, and wrestlers like uh, Diamond Dallas Page and uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, who had snakes on his pants. I remember both of them. Uh, wrestlers don't get old. It's weird. I don't know what. Oh it takes. no, they, they oh, do. They no, do, you gotta uh, razor a lost. bone. You gotta you gotta watch the documentaries. I mean, Jake yeah. the Snake Roberts in particular. But. Yeah, uh, it's true. Uh, in my mind, they don't get old. How's sure that? he's a lovely man. This is Julie Newmar. Anyway, don't get left out. Buy your tickets in advance and save a three-day pass. is only $55 if you pre-order or $65 at the show. But buying in advance is the only way to guarantee you'll get entry to the show. Go to C2E2.com to order your tickets and all the information about the show. And, uh, again, that's April 26th to 28th in Chicago at the West Building at the McCormick Place C2E2. There will be some of our ranks there. Pat, are you going to that one? I will be there, yes. Oh, there you go. Represent. Have fun. I knew a kid in kindergarten who had a Jake the Snake Roberts action figure and, of course, the snake uh, accessory, and he could put it through one nostril and make it come out the other. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Brought it all down there. Uh, Paul, your favorite series is is, is closing in on us. Lock and Key Omega number four? Yeah. Yeah, Lock and Key Omega number four. Shit's getting pear-shaped. Um. This like this to, story to mate foreign and domestic colloquialisms. <laughs> it's yeah, it's uh, it's getting pear shaped. Um, actually, the, the the book sort of. I mean, it ends on like so. There's a there's a beat to the to the you know the uh, cliffhanger at the end, but it's just like all of these things happening all at once. It's just sort of like we we need more issues. We need I, I need more. Um, but this is this is fantastic. This has um, uh, Bodhi who uh, has. Um, Dodge's mind in him, so it's the little kid um, running around with a, a complete mass murderer's mind and spirit inside his body um, is going around with the the shadow crown and taking shadows and turning them into real corporeal things that can wreak havoc on the world. Um, there's some great horror movie tropes going on in this. Like uh, a bunch of the kids are having a prom in the uh, in the cave where a lot of this stuff all went down uh, back in the day when they found the, the matter that they forged to um, turn into these keys and where all this magic comes from. It's this, this uh, gateway into another dimension. Um, so they had a prom there and it's sort of like the you know the alternative prom and um, things went really bad. Some some of the some of our favorite characters might have died in this issue. We we don't know. Um, and it's it uh, Gabriel Rodriguez continually. Uh, nobody's doing layouts and pages this meticulous. Like the compositions are just perfect. There's without feeling too too rigid and, and feeling you know like too overworked um it just every every page has it's like a where's waldo book where you can just find these wonderful details throughout and it's it's just a treat and um how many more of these three and three issues it's all over and um i don't know i might quit comics after this because it's wow. i might i might be done <laughs> you want to so. know my great shame what's your great shame i have i have hard covers one two and four and i just keep not getting three so i'm sort of stuck have you read any of it? Or? Yeah, no, I've read one and two. Okay, But yeah. I feel like it was such a long time ago. It was like mm-hmm. another life. It probably was, but, you know. Uh, I don't believe we ever. I can't, I can't think of the last time we talked about an Avatar comic on here. But I, I guess here in Gillen, yeah, it is Avatar, right? Uber number zero? It yep. is Avatar, and it is Uber number zero. And um, this is one that I, I recommended on uh, Light Week, and because I was very curious about this to see Kieran Gillen doing um, some creator-owned stuff uh, aside from Phonogram, and um, to do something with superheroes that is like sort of like balls out, you know, totally crazy, which is what you can do at Avatar. Um, unfortunately, I think that all of his all of his work and great research into World War II is somewhat lost in in the muddy art um this is you know it's it's avatar it's kind of serviceable art and um unfortunately like all the blood and gore it gets really 
muddy and uh, just ugly to look at. And one of one of the things I thought was interesting in the, in the afterward that that Gillen wrote, um, he didn't really want to. He he was he was pitched this to do this story about um, metahuman superhumans in at the the very end of World War II. The idea is that the Nazis are going to make these superhumans to help win the war um, in 1945 when it's all but lost and. Um, he wasn't interested in it, but then he's like, I'll take a look at it and try it and tried something. And he said, I hope that you find this compelling and fascinating. I hope you don't enjoy it. it it's, <laughs> it's not supposed to glorify. It's not supposed to be yay, Nazi zombies, yay. It's supposed to be kind of a tough read and, and hard to chew. Um, I had a hard time with that as a concept. Uh, I can I can kind of I can see where he's coming from though I, I, but it's you know it's it, the idea is it's not supposed to be mass entertainment it's it's supposed to be kind of difficult and challenging and that's a little bit tough to do with a superhero story um, you don't you, just, you don't really see those there, any kind of superhero story even when they're purporting to be really serious and change the game um, there's always some you know fan favorite moments and. Um, you know, gratuitous fun. And with this, it's just, uh, it's really the art that's bothering me. I, I wish I could see this with a different artist and see how I would, because there's some interesting ideas in here, but um, I don't know if I can stomach, you know, more of this. Pat, yeah. you added, you added snapshot number three to the, to the rundown. Uh, yes. What's, what's your, what's your take on it? It's a great showcase for Jock's art. You know, it's, it's good to see him drawing, you know, you know, sequential stories again, you know, just, Seeing him do action scenes, and I mean, I you know, I dig the I dig the plot. It's you know, it's it's kind of a mystery. You know, there's there's a, someone got framed for murder, and then there's you know, and now you know, he he there's this whole chase going on throughout the entire series, and uh, it's you know, and this is just a continuation of that. Uh, you know, there's more, you know, a lot of stuff gets revealed as the book goes on. But really, the the best part of it is the action sequence, like halfway through, that involves you know that involves a car chase, shootouts, and all that fun stuff. If he draws car chases and stuff, cars going off of ramps, bridges, ledges, yeah. what have yeah. you, I'm cool with that. And then fist fight in the rain. Exactly. So that's sort of his his bread and butter. I this was the this was the best looking issue of the whole thing. The, the yeah. plot I can kind of either take or leave. But and exactly. I actually really like that it's in black and white. Hmm. Uh, I think Connor had said at one point we were talking about one of the earlier issues that it felt kind of like it wasn't finished, but it's neat to see the sort of rawness of the art. Uh, and I'm sure he does a lot of it digitally, but it's, it doesn't really look that way. It looks it looks pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Josh, did you want to talk about Deadpool? Yeah. What a what a what a surprise that was. Oh yeah. Uh, I I after we finished up the sort of initial um, arc, which was the the Dead Presidents arc. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I thought that Mike Hawthorne was coming on, but I guess that's not till later. What we had here was this wonderful little uh, flashbacky episode of of uh, if if Deadpool had been you know this comic had existed in the in the mid eighties. You know, I, th- I think I think that the term should be throwback, like because yeah, you, you got you, you got you got the dot pitch yeah. too, mm-hmm. like the color, <laughs> and when the color slightly leaves the lines. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, and and when they do that intentionally, that's yeah. it's it's kind of cool. Well, it's, if you remember, a couple of years ago we made um, Aphrodisiac, the the book of the year. They sort of did yeah. that, and I I fell in love with it there. And I actually was like, did Jim Rugg draw this? And it wasn't Jim Rugg; it was uh, Scott Koblish, um, who's who's done retro styles on other things as well. Yeah. Um, the opening scene in this that's <laughs> that's um, it's just a a a, me- a staff meeting uh, at the uh, Daily Bugle, and. And Peter Parker is trying to to pitch, you know, th- this this really important story, and no one's paying any attention to him. And at the end, he's he's basically just saying, "I am Spider Man. I am him. I am Spider Man. Pay attention to me." And it's, it's fantastic writing. I thought it was I, I I thought it was hilarious. It's it's actually I really liked Deadpool in this too because there's times mm-hmm. where I've you know there's definitely times I've had enough of him, but in this sort of wacky concept, and I don't want to read it all the time. But uh, a little bit here and there, it was really fun, and and it was like a it was almost it was almost like a what the issue. If anybody yeah. remembers those going way back, it was just just like they can really poke fun at stuff. And Tony Stark is drunken mess sitting around in his iron briefs. So the idea <laughs> is that Deadpool is tasked by an agent of the devil or of Mephisto to to knock Tony Stark off the wagon. And it plays into that the the most famous Tony Stark cover ever, where he's staring into the mirror, and he's got the helmet off, and he's just haggard. 
the definition pack, demon in a bottle, and um, it's Deadpool looking through the other side. It's made one of the, the uh, it was best cover of the week, um, and uh, it was it's it's wrong on many levels. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's um it's it's immature. It's 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 kind of misguided, but it's it's really funny when you get down to it. Yeah, it was a really it was a really fun issue, and uh, he gets drunk and takes this this Iron Man armor out and paints it like his own costume. Yeah. I love the idea, and I love the idea that, that Peter Parker like doesn't stop another robbery, and then he's like, "Oh no, does this mean Uncle is Uncle Ben going to get shot again?" <laughs> that, that was fantastic. Oh, and then let's not that, then let's, let's not forget the the liquor ad starring Angar the Screamer. Oh God, yeah, it was. This might it's weird. It might it might be my pick of the week. This was almost pick of the week. I want that to be known. Like you know, I decided. You know, it was it was it was almost a coin flip. So it was it was a hell of a lot of fun. I think I had more to say about the other one. Um, so there you go. That's all the books that we're going to talk about. We also like to talk about uh, what 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 other folks uh, were reading and what they thought about it. So uh, Paul, do you want to run down the top five pick of the weeks that the uh, iFanboy community? Uh, Absolutely, the top five picks of the week: number five, Deadpool; number seven, eight point three percent; four, Indestructible Hulk; number six, at eight point three percent. So it was a tie there. Uh, three, Glory, number 34, uh, the end of that series, 9.0. Uh, two, Lock and Key, Omega, number four, nice, 22.7%. Like seeing that. Number one, can't go wrong with all new X-Men, number 10, with 23.3%. That is a great spread. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Truly. Uh, and so let's uh, check out a couple of user reviews really quick. Um, Muddy9900 uh, said of Green Arrow, number 19, uh, and I think he got these numbers mixed up, so I fixed them, just according to context. Whoa! Yeah, I know. I this you know and feel stepping free. over over the line there might be, but it wouldn't have made any sense if I'd read them the other way around. You gave the story a two out of five, and you gave the art a five out of five. And the pick of the percentage was uh, half of a percent. Um, there's a page halfway through this issue when Komodo falls and, and pulls Ollie with him. It's basically everything that is right and wrong with superhero storytelling in one sequence. It's a brilliantly crafted page, and I kept going back to it and stared at it for ten minutes when I first viewed it. It's a grand, fantastic, elegant, filled with ex- elegant ellipses, filled with expository narrative boxes that add nothing and talk down to the reader by explaining everything that is happening right now, like hmm. that friend who fancies himself a cinephile because he sat through the Seven Samurai once and decided to talk over Die Hard on movie night because the rest of aren't as knowledgeable to the medium to get it. It's obnoxious, distracting, and downright ugly. It is the case throughout the issue. The narrative boxes throw off pacing and really bring down the brilliant stuff Sorrentino is doing. And to be fair, I saw, I saw Seven Samurai twice. So I actually did that with Shrek. Actually, people complained that I was doing this running commentary on Shrek, and like we we don't want to be in, we're not in film school. That's you. That's so that was that was those years ago. But yeah, that's my wife every night. <laughs> so um, this I uh, I thought this was actually I mean I agree with some of these complaints, but mm-hmm. I thought this was the best issue so far of this. Oh yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of the action, in terms of the the storytelling of the art, I thought it was really. And, and like using color for emphasis, um, I agree though that there's some there's some really talk downy kind of exposition, and I was like, get that out of here, just get get rid of that. That's the that's what's happening now. Like do do a silent issue with with you know Sorrentino, like that, that he's I think he's really good, and I, I think these characters, I think it would be great. I think that he has stepped up the coloring also. Yeah, I agree. From the from the first issue, yeah, yeah that definitely. first issue was off, and this one is. Uh, a lot of things going on. This is the right balance. I mean, that like a lot of the detail stuff, like like the the zoom in on the arrows as they're they're coming towards each other, and just the, I mean the way he draws, like drawing a bowstring. Yeah, it's it's like he he could do a like a manual on he could he could work at an archery place. Did you ever see there was a um? I don't know why he would want it? that job. But. Who was the artist? He was drawing Green Arrow, and and he got like a letter from some archery person. They posted this up, and it was just like, oh, this whole thing. I about remember how he was drawing it line. How he's drawing uh, it Brett wrong. Booth, I think. It was. It was Brett Booth. Yeah. And it's this whole thing about the guy's like, well, typically in archery, the guy's arm is so and so in the string. And he just wrote back. It was like paragraphs and paragraphs. Brett Booth just writes, go fuck yourself. That's all. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. And I, I kind of see where he's coming from. But I, since I read that, I constantly, every time I read one of the archer books, I'm like, is this right? Is that good? Is that all right? He's like, this is like the bastard stepchild of Jock and, and David Aja at the same time. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I don't mean that a as good, a bad thing, but it's it's those things. It's a great way to describe it. Yeah. it. Really is. Like I can see heavy elements of both of those guys. 
uh, and it's it's getting better. But there's definitely impressive pages here. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> all right. So we got another review from the aging young rebel for polarity number one from Boom Studios. Story four out of five. Art four out of five. Pow zero point two percent. Sometimes my favorite books are the ones I expect to be terrible, but surprise me with an unexpected level of quality. A little wordy in places, not that that's a bad thing, but witty and heartfelt with fitting and enjoyable art. I've never seen George Colo before, but he reminds me of Peter Panzerfaust's Tyler Jenkins mixed with Jeff Lemire. And although it's not 100% consistent, it's us- it usually hits a high standard. Max Bemis's writing, although not perfect, is good. And at one point, one of his trademark rants made me laugh at- out loud. He also manages to create a cast of characters that are very believable and relatable very quickly. This is a really interesting idea. This is about a, a guy who um, get, goes off his meds. Um, he finds that he's bipolar and, and he goes off his meds and because that they make you, you know, make you numb. And we've seen that you know, in a lot of different media. But he finds out that the pills, while also suppressing his bipolar, uh, his erratic tendencies, they also suppress superpowers. So, um, and I've seen this compared to Luther Strode in, in terms of violence, and I think that's I think that's right on. And uh, it's really interesting. It's 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 a very interesting book. It's I think it's going to be a four issue miniseries. Um, and Max Bemis is the guy um, frontman for Say Anything. Um, a lot of rock stars writing comics these days. And they're not always bad. Not always bad. I've not never always. heard of that band. I don't know what that means. But I had never heard of My Chemical Romance either. When when Gerard. Well, you're wrote. you're very old. I, I mean, I, I, just no, totally totally true. Have you, I mean, in terms of perspective, really old. Yeah, no, like, I, I, I. You wear glasses. <laughs> have either of you heard of Say Anything? I have. I, yes. I, I, I couldn't give like, you they, lyrics. Like, like, is it a popular? Like, would you hear it on the radio? They've been around for a bit. I think he's. I think he's a couple months older than I am. Oh. Um, so he just just like recently out of high school. <laughs> so old rocking chair old this episode is also brought to you by Archer and Armstrong number zero arriving on May 8th from the New York Times best-selling creative team Fred Van Lenty and Clayton Henry those Claytons so good it's the 100% true story of the epic of Gilgamesh featuring Armstrong and the Eternal Warrior love that idea start reading here with a special standalone issue of the series Boing Boing Calls Fantabulous Get a sneak preview in the Valiant Harbinger Wars free comic book day special in stores everywhere this free comic book day, if you would believe it. I love the epic of Gilgamesh. I have an audio <laughs> of that. All I think of, and I, I know you're with me, Pat, is the dude in the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. I hear Gilgamesh. It's the first thing I think of, and that will be the case until the day I die, which, according to Paul, not long. <laughs> and it could be any day. You okay? Just checking uh, in on <laughs> You were quiet. For, I was worried. <laughs> Stroke. Okay, we're going to move on to the audience questions this week. <laughs> and uh, uh, Henrik from Sweden writes in and asks, With all the talk of Hellraiser being canceled, I have been thinking long and hard about comics ending either due to low sales or for some other reason. I think some comics, even though I love them, were meant to end, like Preacher, Why the Last Man, and Scalped, while I would have liked to see many other comics continue for years after their cancellation. What comics do you miss the most and would like to have to, would like to have seen continue, like Alias, his example, and what comics should have ended years ago, his examples, Powers and Fables? I miss Gotham Central. I don't think that was a natural conclusion. <laughs> I think that was quite a, a an unnatural, supernatural conclusion to that series. It was a precursor to everything that would happen. Right. So I so I think you know. But then also, if if DC Comics put out the a press release on Monday for new Gotham Central issues, I would be terrified. <laughs> I would. Well, you know I would it's, be. It's not. I would throw my laptop out the window. Yeah, exactly. That's why. It so would be, it would be Constantine number one. Is what it would be. It'd be the same, same thing. So, so yeah. Um, Pat, where are you at on this? You, I, you have to have some. He already mentioned Gotham Central, which I really liked. Um, I would have liked to have seen more of uh, Northlanders. That's that good. was that was one of my favorite Vertigo books. I thought you know Brian Wood could have done so much more with that you know with with, with you know with that setting. I think he's. Uh, 
you know, it, it, it was just it was just such a good book, and, and the fact that he would change the cast up every you know with, with every volume or every storyline, and he would just do all kinds of you know fun little stories set in that era. I, I just thought it was great, and the artists that he always had with him were were, uh, were fantastic as well. Yeah, so that's, uh, a, that's a good one because it's because it's like an anthology. Yeah, and, and so it's it's not just you know with Why the Last Man or with Preacher, those are it's a core group of characters, and that they should have a finite story with. You know, with Northlanders, it's more like you know a book of short stories that you would get. So that's that. So that's a good choice. With with Gotham Central, I think it's because it's an ensemble, and you can always change an ensemble. I have I have two answers for books that that I wish had gone on, mm-hmm. uh, and the first one uh, goes back to my earlier days. It was one of Ed Brubaker's first series. It's called Dead Enders. Ooh, it got good canceled one. after a very short amount of uh, of issues because I think it just wasn't selling. But it was the first time I'd ever read Ed Brubaker, and it was this sort of neat. Uh, sort of futuristic mod sci-fi dude on a scooter uh, story. Uh, and it was a little, I don't know if it was post-apocalyptic. but was, I love dude on a scooter stories. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty good. And I remember that ending way too soon and just thinking, oh, that's that's too bad. Um, and then another one is uh, Joe Casey's Wildcats 3.0. Oh, yes. Oh, which, uh, so good. Which really got, got cut in, in its prime. Uh, Wildcats 2.0 was great. They they shifted a little bit, um, and they went to 3.0, and then it actually got stranger. It was a real precursor to what Casey would be doing later, and I don't think it really fit in with what you know what they were trying to do at Wildstorm. Mm. But uh, it just kind of ended, and so that was always kind of a bummer. I would have loved to see more of that. And I think I think it would have gotten. I mean, it's already thought of as a thing that was really good that that didn't end. Um, you know, stuff that goes that goes on too long. I think he mentioned he mentioned fables and powers, and I think those are, to me, you know, I tried to stick with fables. I was like, no, it's still it's still good, and it, it really like it came to the thing that he had thought was going to be the conclusion, and then he just kept going, and it was like, okay, I've, I've had enough. Yeah, there's th- there's yeah. things like like runaways that I wanted to work over time, and after Brian Kivon left, and then they sort of went nowhere but i like where they've ultimately ended up with avengers arena i think they i think we can agree that that's the most interesting that those characters have been since the beginning yeah or since at least the middle i, I mean see, I in a few years that as a continuation of the runaways i think it's those characters well that's true yeah i mean it's i, I here's a, a good example of the opposite i think is is uh thank goodness that they don't use Starman. they don't use jack knight for anything oh yeah the, that would be wrong it's it's something that's like weirdly sacred at DC. Like not not. <laughs> I think, I think it's part of the contract, and that might be lore, that might not be true. But I think it was that no one else gets to write that character unless, unless uh, you know James Robinson has to say so. I might be wrong about that, but it was it was different days then, <laughs> when it came to sort of the creator. They would never agree to that now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Powers is a different story. I don't think it got. It just they they couldn't they couldn't put enough time into it, and it got so sparse that when they went, it was like let's get an issue out, and it just it changed uh, for a little bit, and it lost a lot of that spark because that was one of my real big super. I'm, I know, Pat, you're you're a big Bendis guy, obviously. Yeah, you know. So I mean, did you stick with Powers all the way through? I had to jump off. I did. I, I I stuck around, and uh, actually, right now they're they've been kind of good with their scheduling right now, and uh, three issues have come out of the of the Bureau series, and uh, it's good to see you know. Um, you know some characters together again. Like you know, you haven't seen Walker and Pilgrim together for a while. You kind of see them together, together again in this book. So it's it it kind of it feels right, but you know there's still something different, and that's maybe because of all the you know the the problems getting the book out over the last few years. Mm-hmm. But you know it's still it's it's still a good read. Yeah, I mean I go back every once in a while, but I kind of had to just stop. I was like, you know, I've I've had you know, it did what it was going to do for me and also for the creators involved. I think, mm-hmm. but. Um... Yeah, I, I kind of walked away and, and was like, eh, we're, we'll be fine. Uh, super cliche on this one, but uh, uh, Fell. Um, well, I would love it. I would love to see more Fell. It's it's I mean it's 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 probably more famous now for being a sidetracked project that you know never got continued. Um, that and, and Desolation Jones. Uh, oh, there's a, there's a lot of Warren Ellis things that it's like he's written these great pilots for things and then they never went to series. That's sort of there was a lot of pitches he wrote that never even got to. 
they were right. published. I remember sure. like they'd make announcements like this book is coming. Wow, Vikings never happened. You know, a while a while back, <laughs> I think beginning of this year, Brian Wood put out a list of the different pitches that he did, either for the big two or just you know regular things or for Vertigo or whatever. And like, wow, these sound great. And um, those are always bittersweet to see because they're great ideas. But then you know that because he's talking about them this way on a blog post, you're never gonna they're never gonna see the light of day, you know, in a in a, in a full produced comic. So. Boss. Um, Paul, you want to read the next one? Sure. Alan from New Jersey says, I got a question about some history on the downfall and rebirth of the comic industry. What was the year and reason that caused the downfall of comics in the dismal 90s? Were there specific titles or events that had promise and failed miserably? And what year did they make a comeback again? And what helped bring back our golden era again to our industry? I'm collecting back issues and trades, and I wanted to see what books helped cause the boom that we are in now. Thanks. No, it's, it's not, called a boom now. This is not this is not a question that can be answered uh, as simply as the, it was asked. I think, and I don't mean to say that as like like a put down or anything. But let's talk about the scientific principle of emergence. Um, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. You so that's a Radiolab question. No, it's it's, it's the idea that you know it, it it's not just one thing. It's not just one tipping point. It's many things. It also wasn't. You can't point to a comic. Or a series, or specific comics that did it. It was a a method of. Uh, I mean, honestly, you you need to read if you want to know more about this. You should read Sean Howe's uh, History of the Marvel Universe, or the Untold Story of the, I forget. I don't know what it's called. It's something about Marvel, but we've talked. It's about orange. It. Yeah, I know. I was like, I read it on the Kindle. I, I don't. I don't know what the cover looks like. I don't. Um, the Untold Story of the of the Marvel Universe. I think is it. Um, where like he talks about. It's basically like Marvel got sold a bunch of times, and and you know each person who bought it was further away from people who wanted to make comics, and so they were looking for different ways to extrapolate money from those properties. And when it turned out that they could make a lot of money selling extra copies of things, you know, that had different covers but the same insides, they they went with it. Uh, and so you started people's you know speculation was like, well, these will all be worth money, and they started selling a lot of stuff that wasn't based on what was inside it, but this is the idea to be worth money. And eventually, if people realized, hey, well, that's not that's not going to support us, and all of the infrastructure that had been built up around that crumbled when the sales dropped off, and so and and they had to basically rebuild Marvel Comics specifically from the ground up. Um, and it's like, well, what what caused it to come back was they started doing really good books again. And that's why the late '90s and the early 2000s are, are to me, they're like a golden age, of of they said to creators, "I'd right, make these comic books really good." Actually, forget everything Josh just said. I found it. It's um, came out in 1996. <laughs> it's Leonard Nimoy's Primordials number three. That's what killed the comics industry. Or actually, that. I actually remember going to a baseball card shop and picking up Primordials. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I was actively reading other comic books at the time, but I, I picked up that. That's about that's about aliens come and, and grab some dinosaurs and then put them on a ship and then take them to the future. And then they evolve into dinosaur people. I never bought multiple copies of anything. But I wasn't reading during that time. I stopped reading before that all. Like It was right as it was ramping up, but I got out. So I don't take any blame for that. Although I didn't buy any, so I guess... I guess that'd be a problem too. Pat, did you did you experience that where you you were reading comics when you were younger and then stopped at any point, or have you? I I never stopped. Um, you know, for good or ill, I I just kept reading. And and you know, and the thing about me is I always stuck around with the books that I always liked anyway. And the moment a, a book is becoming really bad or intolerable, I just drop it. You know, and I just come back later on and see if it gets any better. So was but, there ever a point where there was a week and nothing was good and you're excited about none of those things and I don't I don't think that's happened to me no Okay There's always something out there that's good there's I mean there's always something new to discover I mean if if uh if I'm not if there's nothing appealing from the books I normally buy I venture out and see what else is out there and see maybe there's something more interesting that I could that I could give a, you know give it a try well, I mean, it's been a while since the week of September 1st, 1996, when Leonard <laughs> Primordial's number three came out. So maybe you don't remember that, but I don't know. 
Uh, so if you want to write in, you can uh, send your emails to contact at ifanboy.com or you can uh, call 888-FANBOYS, which is 326-2697. Leave your voicemails, ask your questions, and try to get them on the show. Let us know where you're from. And uh, if you're leaving a voicemail, you know, make it short and snappy. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> Just don't go on forever is what I'm saying because that, that isn't going to make it. I'm, t- I'm saying this to help you. Oh, uh, let's see. Paul, we got anything coming up? There are other podcasts that exist out there. Um, and we're responsible for some of those in addition to this one. And one of them is the, uh, the Booksplode podcast coming up very soon. I'm uh, going to wrangle Josh and some other people. We're going to talk about The Dark Knight Strikes Back, Strikes Again. Why do I never remember the name because of this? Because you want to think of A Vampire Strikes Back and you can't not. So which is it? It's again. Dark Knight of the Clones. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we're so. going to be talking. We're going to be talking about that, and then after that, I think we're going to be doing some non-superhero stuff. Um, just a little bit of variety, you know. So and if you and if you, well, and if you have rug out from under you, if you have any suggestions for things that you'd like us to talk about, uh, you can you can email uh, email me is probably the best way to do it. So Paul at fanboy dot com and um, and I've I've actually gotten some really good suggestions so far. So uh, some of those we will be using, um, and then Mr. Loika. Um, I don't know if it's it's like a coincidence that your podcast is called Loikamania. Did you found it? Um, yes. Okay. All right. You created. Loika. All right. So <laughs> you, you inherited a, it from I, another I, guy. I think I, I'd be I, a really I, good I, fit I, for this. Named Chris Foster is like I really need someone to do Loikamania for me. I've been doing it for six months and I'm just I wasn't prepared for this. I bought the you know the USB mic and go ahead, Pat. What's so what's happening on Loikamania? Um, coming up this week, I think by the time you guys hear this, you know, I have, uh, I have Brian Michael Bendis coming up. I have David Ajo coming up and Dustin Weaver and more fun stuff on the way. So yeah, uh, you could, you could check it out at loikamania.com. As many people as, as me and Josh have interviewed in the comics industry, I think Pat has spoken to more people than I've encountered as a pedestrian in my life. Like it's damning. Okay. How many people have you interviewed, Pat? I honestly have lost track. Is there uh, anyone left? There's a few other people. Uh, it's it's kind of difficult to get a hold of some people from from DC, which I'd like to have on. But you know, I, I just I kind of made my inroads towards uh, getting some of them on because I, I just uh, I met uh, I met Alex over at DC or PR, so I might be you know I might be able to work some some more uh, creators that I've never had on before in the He's show. A vegan. Is he? That's with just weird disdain. They have powers, Josh. Um, they have special abilities. Go to com for the pick of the week review and more in, in-depth comic book talk and all the important news and discussion topics. You can go to ifanboy.com slash about to see the staff of ifanboy and their social network links. Follow us on twitter.com slash ifanboy and stay in touch on facebook.com slash ifanboy. And you can, you can see the stuff that's coming out as it comes out in real time. Sounded dirty for some reason. Right? You can email <laughs> us at contact at fanboy.com or leave a voicemail at one eight 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 fanboys. That's three two six two six nine seven. Don't play around with those numbers. Bad things can happen to you. With any questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, etc. And if you dig us, write us a review in iTunes, or better yet, tell your friends about us. Introduce your mom the podcast. Spread the iFanboy word. Okay. What's a good way to spread the iFanboy word? Sidewalk chalk. I think that's a good idea. There was always, in my old neighborhood in New York, they would always write, they would have comedy nights, and it would be at the bottom of the subway stairs. You'd see it every time. Sidewalk chalk at the uh, at the Pentagon. That's not... <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But like, but like on either side of it, right? Terror, terror, just to make sure that someone sees it. No? That's it for this week's show. <laughs> my name is Paul. I'm Pat. And that is Josh. Yeah. You're not... Terror, terror. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Where would you leave it all?